Good morning. A sobering rhetorical question for you this morning, something that you probably weren't expecting to be asked, especially if you're here on vacation. Usually these are not the things that you think about. How often would you say that you think about the day of your own death? As you get older, you think about it more often. Jonathan Edwards, when he was 19 years old, if you don't know who Jonathan Edwards is or was, he's considered largely, widely, to be the most intelligent man ever to walk on the face of or the um, United States. Um, he's brilliant. At 19, he wrote 70 resolutions. These are not like New Year's resolutions, like I plan to lose weight this year. No, that's not what this was. <laughs> he wrote 70 guardrails that were supposed to act as um, principles that will keep his life on track so that he followed God all the days of his life. And the ninth resolution that he wrote said this, resolved to think much on all occasions of my own dying, 19, and of the common circumstances which attend death. Why in the world would someone at 19 make a resolution for himself to think often about death? And he tells you right at the end there, it's because it's common. If you walk outside, you're going to see it. You'll see it in the grass. You'll see it in birds. I went in the corner this morning and saw death right on the ground. It's common. It's everywhere. And so, are we having technical difficulties this morning? Seems like every single week we're having issues. I wonder why. That's all right. They'll work to bring it up, but listen, how long do they do church without screens? We can handle it, can't we? Might mean you'll have to grab a Bible. <laughs> what? Boy, I love this church. Um, the reason why Jonathan Edwards thought so much about his own death is because you can't open your Bible without being reminded of it everywhere you look. You go to the book of James and you realize... According to God, my life is a vapor, a mist. Usually at a funeral, you're, you'll hear me say something like this. If it's a cold day, walk out there, take a deep breath in, and let it out. And when you do, count how long before you can't see the mist anymore. Because that's the way that God sees your life. A mist. Here today, gone. Tomorrow. That's how long. If you're here in the United States, you get 70 or 80 years. That's the lifespan. If you're a woman, it's a little bit longer than a man, but roughly somewhere between 70 and 80 years. That's the average lifespan of an American. And so, Jonathan Edwards wanted to make sure that he lived his life remembering that one day he's going to stand before his maker. Now listen closely to me, everybody. On the day that you stand before your maker, it will not matter how much money you have in your bank account. It won't matter if you had Millions, or you didn't have two pennies to rub together. It won't matter how many people on earth knew your name. It, matter, it won't matter how many people called you great. It won't matter how many people called you a buffoon. It won't matter whether schools or hospitals were named after you. It won't matter whether your funeral drew 10,000 or no one. It will not matter whether or not the newspapers or the history books ever mentioned your name. None of that will matter. What will matter is one thing and one thing only. 
Here it is. What did you do with the truth that came from Jesus? That's it. Nothing will matter. And so this morning, in our study through the Gospel of John, we've been reading about a private one-on-one conversation that took place between Jesus and Nicodemus, a Jewish professor of Torah, or the law, and it happened in the middle of the night. And you're going to read the very words of Jesus as he talks about that final day, the day that Jonathan Edwards said that he kept on the forefront of his mind every day. You're going to read from the words of Jesus a snapshot, a glimpse into what's going to happen on that final day, the day of judgment. And so for the next 45 minutes, listen, everybody, you came in having just lived a week. Okay, you had a week. And everybody in this room brought with them things that happened in the week. You had some arguments, probably. You had somebody cut you off in traffic. You probably almost hit a biker as you were riding across (laughs) Bay Village. All these things happened. Tune it all out. I'm telling you. Tune it all out and tune into the words of Jesus. This is not time to mess around. This is not time to check the score. This is not time to do any of that stuff. This is the most important thing that you will ever hear. And so I'm going to ask that God would grant for everybody in this room, I know you're tired, I know you've been in the sun, and the sun drains you of energy. I'm going to ask that God would grant a supernatural kind of energy that would give you an acute mind so that you won't drift off and go to sleep. Let's ask Him together. Father in heaven, as we look this morning at the judgment, you can already see that perhaps there's someone else at work, perhaps there's an enemy at work who doesn't want people to see it or hear it. So I pray, dear God, that you would give us, by your Holy Spirit, an attentive heart and mind to see what you'd have to say to Nicodemus first, to the rest of us, about the day that is on the horizon for all of us, the day In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, for those of you who have not been here, uh, they're going to keep working on the screen. Keep working on it, boys, okay? If you can get it, great. They're going to keep working on the screen, so you'll see it blinking and think, don't let that distract you. You stay focused, okay? For those of you who haven't been here, we've been studying this story where Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus, but I have not read the entire thing in, in its context yet, the whole thing. And so if you haven't been here, I want you to see this whole conversation. We've already gone through 18 of these verses, and we're only going to look at the end, the last three verses. But I want you to see it in its whole context today, okay? John 3, verses 1 through 21. Got to grab a Bible, because it's not on the screen. There's one in front of you if you want to look there. I will let you take out your phone. Go ahead, you can take it out. Open your Bible app, you can do it that way too. John 3, 1 through 21. Okay, let's stay focused. Here's what it says. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind, it blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. We looked at almost all that already. If you say, whoa, that's, that's a lot. It is a lot. That's why we spent, now this will be four weeks going through this. If you want to know, Every little word, go back online and look at what we said about the first 18 verses. Today, all I want to do is look at the end of this epic conversation where Jesus talks about the judgment. This is how he ends maybe one of the most important conversations that's ever been had. He ends by talking to Nicodemus about what's going to happen on the judgment day. And so, from verse 19, I've derived the title where Jesus says, And this is the judgment. I've assigned this as the title because this is the main point of everything that Jesus is talking about. He's driven Nicodemus through this whole long list of things that he wants him to know about to get to the final end. This is the judgment. And if you weren't here last week, I showed you that in verse 17 and 18, right before this verse, Jesus separates the whole world into two groups. Can I remind you of those two groups? I had this on the screen and it was so nicely laid out. I'm so disappointed. Spent so much time. This just goes to show you. Maybe I'm wasting all my time. Two groups in 17 and 18. Wasting my time on the PowerPoint, that is. Two groups in 17 and 18. Look down at your Bible. I want to see every head go like this, okay? 17 and 18. He tells you those two groups. It's outlined by these two whoevers or whosoevers. Look what it says. It says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, here's the first group. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Somebody's reading it out loud over here. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's the first group, group number one. Okay, let me tell you this. 
In this first group of whoever's, there's a lot of people in there, okay? And if we were to assign a word to the the not condemned group, well, the the New Testament gives lots of words. Justified, the born again, the believers. In Acts, they're called Christians. But I like alliteration. So let's call this group the cleared. Because when you get to heaven, there will be a group and you'll hear the gavel. And that first group will be Cleared of all charges. Tell me you want to be in that group. I do too. So we'll call this group the cleared. But then there's a second group that Jesus mentions here. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So there's group one, the cleared, and group two, the condemned. Those are the only two groups. There is not a group three. There is not a plan C. That's it. The cleared and the condemned. Now back to verse 19. Jesus says to Nicodemus at the end, he says, and this is the verdict. If any of you have an uh, NIV translation, you'll see it doesn't say uh, judgment. It says verdict. I think that's a better word for this word judgment. It is the word krino in the Greek. Krino. And it literally means a verdict. So there's going to be a sentence delivered to every single human being. And Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, one day there's going to be a sentence delivered to you and to everyone. And then he tells him, what will be the sentence delivered to the people in group one and the people in group two, the cleared and the condemned? I've articulated the main point. We call it the big idea here at this church. The main point of Jesus so that you won't miss it, okay? Now, I was going to tell you to take out your phone and snap a picture of it on the screen, but you can't do that. So you'll have to listen closely and maybe write it down, okay? Here's the big idea. According to Jesus, the final judgment of every individual comes down to whether you loved God's truth and lived in the light or hated God's truth and lived in the darkness. I'll say it again. According to Jesus, the final judgment of every individual comes down to whether you loved God's truth and lived in the light or hated God's truth and because you hated it, you lived in the darkness. That's it. In every passage where the judgment day is talked about, and there are many, I'm going to show you many of them, God's aim is to sober every hearer. Listen, the rest of what you're going to hear is going to be sobering. Do you know how great our God is? How gracious He is? He stuck a mechanism in you. A mechanism. He put it in me too. We call it a conscience. It's like a machine. And the conscience isn't there to tell you when you're about to get fired. It's not there to tell you when your wife is about to yell at you for not taking out the trash. It's not there to tell you when your kids are about to get angry at you because whatever. All those things, the alarm bell goes off when those things are about to happen too. But it's there for something way more important. That alarm goes off when you're about to break the moral code of the lawgiver. Not just for momentary daily things. Oh, it works there. But it's there for this final day. It's there to, when that alarm bell goes off, it's supposed to remind you, oh yeah, I have a day in court. That's what it's in you for. That mechanism, that alarm bell that goes, oh, I shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done that. Why did I say that? That's why he put it there. 
Isn't it interesting, those of you who are atheists, first of all, thank God you're here. Isn't it interesting that this is in every single person, even that person that you're thinking about over in some tribe in Africa? Where did that mechanism come from, do you wonder? Come talk to me about it afterwards. With that in mind, I want to show you these two groups, the condemned and the cleared, so that you will know deep in your bowels before you leave here today which group you will be in. You can't leave here without knowing this. I want to show you group number one, the condemned. The condemned hate the light, and so because they hate the light, they live in the darkness. Here's what you're going to learn. Those who will be convicted on the day of judgment when their sentence is read out, they will be convicted on the basis of their rejection of God's truth as evidenced by the life they lived. Now listen closely to me. It's not just their words. It's not just that they rejected and said, oh, I don't believe that. That's not it. There will be books opened. Not this book. Books of your life. There's a book being kept. The record of my life, your life, everybody's life. Books. I'm going to show you. And when their books are opened, it's going to show, not just by their words, but their works, the way they lived life, that they utterly rejected God's truth and they loved the darkness more than the light. Look back at verses 19 and 20. You'll see this. Words of Jesus here. This is the judgment. This is the verdict, the sentence that's going to be delivered. The light has come into the world. Now start asking questions. What, what light? What is that? And people loved the darkness rather than the light. Do you see the preference going on here? Why? Because there, if you have a Bible open and you can see this word, yell it out. Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his what, church? Lest his works should be exposed. We're going to get into that in just a minute about what these works are that are going to be written in these books about your life. Before we get there, let me talk about this judgment day. Listen to me, everybody. This is not some peripheral thing that really doesn't matter all that much. This is at the very heart of our gospel, okay? And I want to tell you something else. I dated myself in the first service. This is not some movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, okay? This is not something, this is what I said in the 8 a.m., it's not something you can go to Blockbuster Video <laughs> and find a whole shelf full of movies about the end of the world. You know how many movies there are about the end of the world and about Judgment Day? Can I ask you, why do you think that is? Why do you think the mind behind those things wants to create a caricature, a cartoon image of this while you sit there eating milk duds in your slippers with your favorite blanket, watching the world burn in Judgment Day? Why, why do you think that is? It's because he doesn't want you to take it seriously. Whereas this is the, the thing, the thing, the thing in the Bible that God wants you to have the highest reverence for. So Satan says, I know, I'll make a joke out of it. And I'll have it starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's not Judgment Day. Let me tell you a little bit about it. First, Paul standing before the brilliant minds in Athens, the Oropagus. He's standing before the Greek philosophers, you know, the smarty pants, those guys. And he's standing there, and at the end of a long speech, look how the Apostle Paul ends his speech. Acts chapter 17. You're not going to be able to look. I'm going to have you flipping a lot, so just listen to me, okay? Listen. 
Acts 17, 30-31. Paul just makes this speech and he says, God has overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now, God commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and to turn to Him. And I imagine they might be yelling, Why, Paul? Why should we repent and turn to your God? And he says, Because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world. So there's a day on God's calendar that's circled in red. He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this, He has given us assurance to all of us by raising Him from the dead. So Paul says, you smart people, I'm so happy that you're so smart. Listen, judgment day is coming. What in the world are you going to say when you stand before God? That's what Paul says. Daniel, the prophet, long before Jesus was born. Daniel, the prophet, separated the whole world into two groups too. Jesus wasn't inventing anything new. Listen to what Daniel, the prophet, said, talking about the end times. Daniel says this in Daniel 12. At that time, the time of the very, very end of the age, Every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. This is your chance to say amen. Every one of your people whose names is written in your book will be rescued. Listen. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life. And Daniel says, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Jesus isn't telling Nicodemus anything new. He's saying, Nicodemus, you know these things. You teach these things. Some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. The cleared and the condemned. Hebrews 9.27, shortest phrase, easiest one to remember. It is appointed for man to die once and after that comes the judgment. It is appointed for everyone in this room to die. And after that comes your judgment. You will stand before the maker. Peter talked about it too, 2 Peter 3, 7. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist, everything you see around you, the Ferris wheel, this building, everything you see, the heavens and the earth that now exist, they're stored up. They're being reserved for fire. They're being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Peter says all this one day. On that day of judgment, it's gone. The last one I want to tell you about it's written in the book of Revelation. John had a glimpse of this that's more clear than anybody saw it. What I'm going to, to read to you is not for believers. No believer will be at this judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment. Listen carefully. Revelation 20. John says, Then I saw a great white throne, and the one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence. This is Jesus. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small. That means presidents and homeless people. All of them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Are you picturing this? And there were open books. One of them was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their deeds and recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead. All the people that have drowned, they're going to come out. And death and Hades gave up their dead. And each one was judged according to their deeds. That's not for believers. Do you know why? We've already had our judgment day and it was on a hill called Calvary. 
And we were pronounced guilty on that day. And someone else stepped in front and said, I will take their crimes against a holy God. And he absorbed all your sins and mine. And on that day, we looked as our judgment was being passed down on him. You will not be there at this judgment day. This is for those who said, I don't want that. I'll take it on myself. And they will be condemned on that day. And the books will be opened and all their life will be exposed before them. Do I need to go on? The judgment day is pretty much in every book of your Bible. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus, he makes this as simple as possible, John 3, 19 and 20, and light has come into the world and people loved the darkness. And then skipping down, everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And somebody in here might be saying, what, what, what light? Like the sunshine? What is he talking about? Those of you who've been here since the beginning of John, you know, but somebody here might not. Jesus described himself by saying, I am the light of the world. And then in John 12, he says, I have come into the world as the light of the world so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus is the light that was sent into our dark world. Now, did you notice in what he said, what Jesus says to Nicodemus, he gives two reasons for why people love the darkness so much, why they hate the light. So listen to me very carefully, everybody in the room. If Jesus is the light of the world and people know that they're living in darkness, as soon as they hear about Jesus, like they don't want to come to church because they hear Jesus, they see the light, like, ah, turn that off. Why do you think? Because as soon as they're in the, in the presence of something so pure, so holy, so true, they know, I'm exposed. And if you see what's going on in here, I don't want anybody to see that. So turn him off. Just, just turn him off. That's exactly what they tried to do. Just turn off the light. Because their deeds were exposed. He gives two reasons right there with Nicodemus for why people hate the light and love the darkness. Can I show you these? First, their love of evil. It says it right there. Because their works were evil, they hated the light and loved the darkness. On the day of judgment when these books are going to be opened... And the records will will reveal incontrovertible evidence of a heart that craves what God calls evil. That's going to happen when these books are opened. What are those cravings, you ask? What are the things that God will see written in the books and are going to be exposed? So glad you asked. The Apostle Paul wrote about these things. This is not extensive, but he gives a list. Here's what he writes in Galatians 5. The acts of the flesh, Paul says, are obvious. These are the things that will be written in the book. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. That's not a word we use very often. It means excessive indulgence in sensual pleasures. Debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred and discord and jealousy. Fits of rage. Uh Uh-oh. Selfish ambition. You're saying selfishness is in there? Dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and orgies. And then he finishes like this, and the like. Well, that's pretty open-ended, Paul. (laughs) There's a reason for that. And then he says this at the very end. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this, means they make a practice out of these things, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Now here's the thing. Everyone in this room was just indicted by what you just read, including the man speaking. Everyone in the room. He says that somebody who is selfish or is told a lie, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God? If they make a practice out of those things? Yes, that's exactly what he's saying. The people who will be in group number one, the condemned, they will be condemned because their heart will hunger after the list that I just gave you. They'll say, Pastor Luke, I hear what you're saying, but you just read the list of everything that makes life fun. That's why I run away to Vegas when nobody's looking. Go over there, hang out on that strip for a little while, do a little bit of that list that Paul just read. It's fantastic. I love it. And then I come home and I, you know, I put on the good guy hat for a little bit. And then when I feel like I need a little trip, I go out to Vegas again and back to Paul's list. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that the people in group number one will make a lifestyle out of hungering for things that God says he hates. And he calls them evil. Now's an opportunity for you to start doing some heart work and asking, Lord, okay, I'm just going to be honest. Nobody can see inside my heart, but you can. Is, are there things that I'm hungering for that you say are evil? Are there things that I crave that you say stay away from? If so, get them out of me. Now's the right time to start doing that. So the first thing is they love evil. The second reason that Jesus gives why people hate the light, turn that off and love the darkness, it says they fear exposure. Did you notice that there? Lest their work should be exposed. They hate the light because they're afraid of being exposed. Parents in the room, when your kids are old enough to know right and wrong, and you said, ah, uh-uh, do not eat that cookie till after dinner, do they go and eat the cookie in the middle of the living room floor? with the lights on? No, they do not. They go in their closet and they close the door and go like this. Were you eating the cookie? And there's chocolate everywhere. And they're, no, I wasn't eating the cookie. Why do they go in the closet? They don't want to be exposed. Toddlers. Get this. They intuitively, somebody hardwired that in. Who hardwired that in? To hate the light when you know that your works have been wicked. Where'd that hardwiring come from? It's because you know one day you're going to stand in court. And you need some way to be cleared of these charges. Proverbs 28. Solomon, wiser than Jonathan Edwards even, he writes this. Listen close. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. Oh, you might for a little while, but your day's coming. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who, listen, confesses and renounces their sins finds mercy. If you say, God, have mercy on me, you may have it. But not if you hide it. Just come into the light. Say, Lord, I know how ugly it is in there. I know how ugly it is. Please have mercy on me. And according to the scriptures, he will. You just need to come into the light. Friends, those who are in group number one will be condemned simply for one reason. They just didn't trust God. They thought, well, if I come into the light, listen, I'm going to get fired. My wife's going to leave me. You know what's going to happen. It's going to hurt. Those who come into the light say, I know it hurts to come into the light. I know it does. I'm willing to be hurt temporarily, like mainly if I have to be disciplined for my whole life. I'm willing to be disciplined for my whole life by a Heavenly Father who loves me for the promise of eternal life. 
That's why they come into the light. They know there's discipline there, and they know it's going to ouch, ouch. But I know that if I come into the light, I have eternal life. That's the only thing that separates these two groups. Friends, we're going to move on to group number two, but before we do, do you know who is, uh, occupies group number one? Sinners. Guess who occupies group number two? Say it. Sinners. Sinners. One group will be condemned. The other group will be cleared. Now you have to ask, here comes the good news. You have to ask, well, why is that group condemned and this group cleared? So glad you asked. Group number two, the cleared. Here's why they're cleared. It's because they have hated the darkness, especially the darkness that remains in them. They just hate this darkness. And so because they hated the darkness, they came into the light. They came into the light. Here's what you're going to learn. Those who will be justified, pronounced not guilty, on the day of judgment, will be cleared on the basis of their love of the truth. And here's how. It'll be evidenced in the books of their life. It'll be evidenced not just by their words, but by their works. That they didn't just say, oh, I love Jesus, and then never came back to church ever again. No, they said, I love Jesus, I'm coming into the light to be saved, and I'm staying in the light. Every time I sin, I'm going to come back into the light. Lord, I just want to live in the light, and every time it's going to hurt, but I, I want to be made into your image. <laughs> That's what will clear them on the day of judgment. Look back at verse 21, last little verse there, okay? Whoever, this is that second group, whoever does what is true comes to the light. Now, you can't tell this, but the, the tense of the verb doesn't mean they do this. Come to the light, get saved, and I'm out of here. <laughs> That's not what it is. They come to the light, and they stay in the light. Doesn't mean they never sin again. They come to the light, and they keep coming back to the light. They come to the light. Why? So that... It may be clearly seen. Something's going to be shown on the day of judgment. That is, if you have a Bible out and you can see that word, say it nice and loud. That is what? That his works have been carried out in God. Now you should underline or circle or highlight that. Carried out in God. What in the world does that mean? I'm going to explain it. Group number two, they are pardoned of their sins, not because they were sinless, but because in spite of their sins, they chose to come into the light. Listen to John, the same author. He wrote a letter. And in his letter, he expounds upon what Jesus is saying here. Everybody still with me? 1 John 1, 5-9. Some of you probably had this memorized. Listen to what he says. John says, This is the message that we heard from him, from Jesus. And now we declare it to you. God is light. That means truth and holiness and purity. God is light. In Him, there is no darkness at all. There's no deception. There's no sin. He is what He is. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie. And we don't live in the truth. But if we walk in the light, truth and holiness, as He is in the light, well, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, you might be here, I'm not a sinner. If you claim to be without sin, you deceive yourself, John says. 
and the truth is not in you. If we confess our sins, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And everyone said, is that not the greatest news in the world? Now I want to focus on that last little part, purify us. Oh, listen to this. Jonathan Edwards, one of my favorite writers, he calls this beautification. And if you attend here, you know I've talked about this a lot. I'm going to talk about it a lot because I love thinking about it like this. He's saying, on the day you were saved, born again, something happened to you in an instant, like this. That ugly soul, not the outside, you're all so beautiful. I'm talking about the inside. That ugly soul filled with things that God says he hates, on the day you asked for forgiveness from Jesus, that ugly soul was instantly made beautiful in the sight of God. You know that there's only one beautiful one that has ever lived, whose soul reflected the absolute purity, not one lie, not one impure thought, no debauchery, nothing. That's Jesus. And the moment you were born again, that beauty of Jesus wrapped your soul So that when God looks at that ugly soul, he doesn't see your sin, he sees the beauty of his son. Now, listen to me, now that you've been made beautiful in the sight of God when you came alive to the beauty of Christ, you live out the rest of your days, listen to this phrase, becoming what God says you already are. He says, in my sight, you are beautiful, daughter. I see Jesus when I look at you. So now be what you are, beautiful in my sight. That's the rest of the Christian life. And so I'd like to narrow your focus down to this phrase that Jesus says, the last phrase. On that day, it'll be shown that his works have been carried out in God. What does that mean, Jesus? So I'm a believer. I'm going to stand before you as in the cleared category. And it's going to show when they open my life. It's going to show that my life has been carried out in God. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this. I'm running a little bit over. Is everybody okay with that? Okay. Because this touches on a little nerve. And it's the nerve that helps people understand the relationship between saved by grace through faith and your works. How do those two things relate together? Let me affirm right at the beginning. You are saved by God's grace alone, through your faith alone, not of any works that you've done in case anybody in here thinks like they're going to boast. When you get to God before God and you think, check out my resume, he's going to go, whoop. You have nothing to boast about. Nothing. Neither do I. You're saved by grace through faith. And yet, when you get to heaven... Saved by grace through faith, there's going to be this other side of it. And according to Jesus, there are going to be these works that are going to be evidence that when you were saved by grace through faith, you were actually saved by grace through faith. Your works are evidence of the new tree that is blossoming inside your soul. That beautiful tree. And beautiful works of righteousness are going to start to come out of your life. Not all at once, but little by little. And you're going to say, where did that come from? That looks kind of like Jesus. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, says, you know, faith without works, that's a dead faith. It doesn't work. (laughs) And then Paul backed him up. He said, we're Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So if you're going to live in the light, here's what it means. Live as light. If you've been changed, God's grace has been poured in, pour it out. That's it. You'll live in the light. If God has poured any measure of grace to save you, whatever that measure is, just a drop and you are saved and you're just a little baby in Christ, great, pour it out. That's a good work. And on the day when you stand before God, that will be right there. And it will be evidence that you were truly saved by grace. Kevin DeYoung, I have this book with me. Almost done. Kevin DeYoung wrote this book on holiness. It's so little. Some of you who are fast readers, you, look at how big the font is. You could read this in like an afternoon, some of you. I'm a slow reader, so it takes me a little longer. This is called The Whole, like a whole, in our holiness. And he does away with some of these myths that people grew up with thinking about holiness. They're like, uh, a sermon on holiness. Kevin DeYoung does great work helping you understand this as the beauty of God coming out of your life. Isn't that a beautiful way to think about holiness? Read this book. Kevin DeYoung says this in one of the chapters. He says, to find acquittal from God on the last day, there must be evidence flowing out of us that grace has flowed into us. Friends, I say that because that's the simplest way that I think anybody's ever explained this. When you stand before God in that cleared group, your books will be opened and there will be evidence that the, the grace God poured in has also been poured out in good works of righteousness. Friends, I'm, I'm done, but I can't leave you without giving you something to do to prepare for Judgment Day. Don't you want to know? I can hear a few of you just begging for something. So glad you're here. Something to do to prepare your heart for Judgment Day. It's two things. Two sides of the same coin. Okay? The first thing, purge your heart of dark delights. Ashley and I are getting ready to move in just a few short weeks. And we are going to... Don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> we're getting ready to move and... Um, we're going to be doing some purging, going through our closet and getting rid of stuff that we didn't even know was down there. Do that in your heart. Go through your heart and say, I don't think that God delights in that thing, so I'm not going to delight in it anymore. To the trash. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. And there are going to be things you're afraid to get rid of because you will think, if I get rid of that, I'm giving away my happiness. You are not. You're getting, ready to, you're getting rid of the only thing that's actually standing in the way of your happiness. Get rid of it. Purge your heart of dark delights. Second thing, can't just get rid of the evil stuff. You have to learn to delight in the beautiful stuff. How many of you know God delights in truth and nobility and honor, right? Righteousness. That's why Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, listen to this. Dwell on these things. How many of you have a dwelling? It's a house. Paul's saying, make those things the house you live in. Don't just think, oh, righteous stuff on Sundays, rest of the week. <laughs> no, make your house a house of light. I'm telling you, you'll be ready for that day of judgment. Your conscience will be clear, blameless on the day. Friends, 
Oh, that we would be a people that goes out into Long Beach Island and the people visiting here say, there's something. They don't delight in the same dark pleasures we do. Why? Why? And they still are happy people. The joy is just all over their face. Oh, that we would be that kind of people. It can happen, but only by God's grace. He's got to do a work in your heart. Hey, we made it without screens. Yeah. Friends, this is a sobering message. And I, I did not mean to make light of it. If someone is in group number one and they know that they're condemned because they have not believed in the only Son of God, you must come down. I'll be standing right here. Don't let the fear of exposure keep you from salvation. Come and be saved today. Father, I thank you for these words of Jesus, sobering as they are, for they lead us to eternal life. And you said to Peter, do you want to do? And Peter said, where else should we go? You have the words that lead to eternal life. And so I pray that you would prepare us for the day of judgment by sinking your word down into our hearts so that we might not sin against you. I pray for the person here who knows their closet is full of dark desires. Thank you, God, that you brought that person here today. They're in the right place. Help them to feel the prodding of the Holy Spirit to do work with God when they get home tonight. And maybe even not wait, but to come down and talk with me. And I pray this in Jesus' precious and holy, pure name. Amen. Amen.